0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Watchdog's Bark. My name is Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. This is episode 31. Again, if you've listened to all my other episodes, thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll follow me in the rest of the journey. I want to try and start integrating lessons about the founding of this great country of ours, the Constitution, and our Founding Fathers. So, with that in mind, I just want to say one thing before I start. We are losing our freedom in this country because we're losing our virtue. Our Founding Fathers said many things about this republic that they created, and I think many people have forgotten just how important it is that we have an informed and virtuous people to preserve that which they founded. We're not a pure democracy. A democracy is a country where majority rules, period. We still do have majority rules for elections, but we elect representatives to represent us in our state government and federal government when making laws. We were created as a republic because our founding fathers saw the fatal flaw in democracies. You see, after a while, all democracies turn into a one party government because eventually one side will be able to take full control. So they created a constitutional republic in order to have the best chance for freedom. Now we're a constitutional republic because the constitution is the very center of our country's founding and the foundation on which all of our laws are built and compared to. That is so important because when governments have bylaws and things that they create that they are constantly changing and evolving and morphing into different things and interpreting different ways, laws can get very, very complicated and they can change depending on the new administration coming in and their whims. And that's another thing that our founding father saw was a flaw of democracies is eventually, like I said, one party can take full control. But also, if there's not a foundation on which all laws are written and measured upon, then the laws can come and go and be interpreted differently based on different ideologies of incoming administrations. So our founding fathers were genius in creating this constitutional republic and that solid document called the Constitution. But the amendments just clarify some things. But the Constitution, like I said in another podcast, I believe that our founding fathers were divinely inspired to write it. And I believe the Constitution is an an immovable, solid document that should not be interpreted based on ideologies. It should be taken very literally, word for word. And I'm really grateful now we have some Supreme Court justices that believe the same thing. Now, let me go back and explain why I started this podcast with that statement that I did, uh, that we're losing our freedom because we're losing our virtue. Benjamin Franklin said the following, Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Does this sound kind of familiar? There's a lot of people really wanting the government to make all the decisions for them. This, I believe, is because we've lost our virtue or are losing our virtue. You know, when I was younger, I used to think that virtue meant virginity and chastity. And while it does mean those things, it also means that someone has high values and goodness and righteousness. And I believe we've lost a lot of that in this country. We have lost our moral and ethical principles. We have people that are changing everything in our education system that takes away any reference to godliness and virtue and uh, modesty and ethics and just basically have changed into a laissez-faire. Kind of society where live and let live, which I really honestly believe, you know, especially when you're an adult, live and let live. And what you do in your bedroom is your business. And what you, who you love is who you love. And all of these things, I believe, are acceptable views of a laissez faire. But I believe there's some things that need to stand strong, and that is goodness and ethics and morals. Our country and society has degraded to the point where we're actually justifying horrific things that because of our justice system wanting to put equity first, they are not keeping criminals in prison because the prisons have too many of one race. And so in order to make that fair, and I put that in air quotes because it's not fair at all, then they need to release some criminals. We have some people in society that are trying to justify pedophilia. We have organizations in this country called NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association. Yes, sadly, this is a real organization where older men want the right to have relationships with minor boys. We also have people trying to get children to change the vernacular from pedophilia to minor attracted people. So we're trying to justify immorality and we're trying to teach young, young children about things that they have no way that they can, they can comprehend or understand. You know, we have all of these people defending a child's right. And this is like a child five, six, seven, eight, some as young as four and three and two, in places I've heard, and as old as, you know, 17, 16, 17. But all of these are children. Their brains are still developing, they're still going through all these different changes in their life. And when a parent tells a child, Or a parent or an adult, a teacher, administrator, someone, an authority figure in their life is telling a child about sexuality and allow books in elementary school libraries that talk about lubrication and gay and straight anal sex And all kinds of things. I am sorry, I know these are very mature subjects. And if you have kids, I hope you'll listen to this podcast before you let them listen to it. But none of these things should be taught to children before they're even able to decide for themselves what they want to eat every meal. All these things that should not be told to children. That has led to the point now where it's common that parents are telling children that see their little boy dress up in a dress, you know, one time living out a fun fantasy in their mind. And that's usually all it is. For a short time in their life, they go through this little fun fantasy and they're trying to figure out who they are. But if a parent then takes that as absolute reality for the rest of their life. Who are the adults? Parents are supposed to be the adults, period. They're the ones that tell children what is right and wrong. If they allow the child to decide that for themselves, that person shouldn't be a parent, in my opinion, because that is evidence, as I've said in other podcasts, of children raising children. And that, that's not age, that's maturity. We have children raising children. And we have teachers that I've heard that, want, that think that they're being validated by their first and second graders with their new lifestyle choice. Well, you know what? Kids are going to validate you as long as you give them attention, period. That's it. So it's truly sad to me that we have some adults that are still so immature and insecure in who they are. They need validation from children. That's just baffling to me that we've gotten to this point. So I take that quote very, very seriously when Benjamin Franklin said, look, uh, (laughs) the virtuous people are capable of freedom. But once they lose that virtue and become corrupt and, and vicious, they want to have masters. They want to have people tell them what to do. And that is exactly what is happening in our country right now and in parts of the world, too, but I am focusing mostly on the United States of America. There is another really powerful quote that I discovered when I was researching our founding fathers, and particularly the uh, Supreme Court, and found that there was a justice by the name of Joseph Story, who was nominated by James Madison, okay? And he took the place of, um, let's see who was, oh, William Cushing, uh, who had died. And James Madison originally nominated John Quincy Adams, but, and Adams was confirmed, but he decided not to serve in that capacity. And we know he went on to become president. So Joseph's story had such an amazing career and really, really had a profound effect on the Constitution. And he said this about the Constitution specifically. He said, The Constitution of the United States was ordained and established not by the states in their sovereign capacities, but emphatically as the preamble of the Constitution declares by the people of the United States. Now, I thought that was so powerful. It's, a, it's an amazing look at uh, what the Constitution really is. It's written by the people, for the people. And Justice Story said this uh, when he was on the Supreme Court. He said, "'Republics are created by the virtue, public spirit, and intelligence of the citizens. They fall when the wise are banished from the public councils because they dare to be honest. And the prolificate are rewarded because they flatter the people in order to betray them. Do you see a lot of that happening today? I certainly do. I see a lot of politicians trying to flatter instead of actually represent their constituents. And I believe very strongly the Democratic Party has flattered people of color with what they promised to do. And they never do those things they're promised. And the sad reality of that is... Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson when they were passing the what was it called uh I don't know what the act is but they were basically passing welfare and when they when he was getting ready to sign that bill to create welfare he said and I can't quote it directly because he uses the n-word but he said this will have these people voting democrat for 200 years they realized that they could flatter many people into voting for them because they thought they were going to get things from the government. And we know the government doesn't really give anything. They mostly take. They take in taxes and with regulations, they take away uh, freedoms. There's so much the government does wrong. I still reflect back to Ronald Reagan when he said, the nine Most dangerous words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. I could not agree more. That is also why our founding fathers put so many checks and balances to make sure that one party could not take full control. And sadly, there is one party that is trying to remove all of those checks and balances. I won't name the party specifically, but I will tell you this. There's only one party that wants to pack the Supreme Court. There's only one party that wants to abolish the Electoral College, which gives every state equal representation in our elections. There's one party that wants to make the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico states 51 and 52 states in our country. Now, in the Constitution, it says that the District of Columbia should be an independent colony or province, because if one party were to take control of the capital of our country, it would basically turn our republic into a democracy. And that's exactly why one party wants D.C. as a state. They want two more senators from that party. And then Puerto Rico would bring at least one more from that party. It might be a mixed thing in Puerto Rico. I think mostly it's controlled by one ideology on that island as well. So one party wants their party to have such a majority in the Senate that the other party would never have control again. And that same party wants to change the dynamic of the Supreme Court to only represent their party and ideology. And that same party wants to get rid of the Electoral College so that two of the most populous states, California and New York, and there'd be a little bit of sway with a couple of other states that have giant populations. But mainly those two states would decide every election from now on. I wonder why that party wants to get rid of those checks and balances our founding fathers wanted to put in place to prevent one party from taking full control. I'll give you a hint. It's the party that keeps saying that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. January 6th was the biggest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. We are defending our democracy. They're the party that's always saying these things. They know full well we're not a pure democracy. They know full well this country is a republic, not a democracy. But they're using that language. They're controlling that narrative on purpose. They're using this language so that everyone who doesn't know any better, and since they don't teach civics a lot in schools anymore, most people are ignorant enough to believe that we are a democracy. And even they're even talking about it when they talk about America spreading democracy worldwide. That's not what's going on. We are a republic. A republic has representation, where we elect our representatives, and they represent us in Washington and in our own states in creating laws. They do this so that everyone feels they're represented. That's what a republic is, and that's what we're Trying to defend. I came across one other quote that basically sums up how futile it is to try and argue with someone who is so set in their ways they're not even willing to look at other opinions or beliefs. This is Thomas Paine. You remember he was the one that said, Give me liberty or give me death. (laughs) That's how strongly he felt about it. But the quote I found from him that basically tells you how I feel. To argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. And that is the truth. My friends, what's really created this divide, I believe, is social media. The algorithms in social media, and I know I've discussed this before, and you need to know it again. The algorithms in social media... Make it so that everything you like and love and comment on becomes the standard of which shows up in your news feeds, because then you'll get more likes and more loves and more comments and then engage more and stay uh, active on social media and waste more time on social media. And yes, it is a waste of time. Unless you're actually trying to promote good or, you know, promote a business or, Letting people in your close fun circle know fun vacations or fun experiences or moving things. That's all social media is really good for. And please just keep this in mind. And this is one thing I had a struggle with for many, many years. Don't compare your worst days to other people's filtered and edited best days. Do you understand what I'm saying there? So many, so many people on social media post when they're having great days and great, amazing things are happening to them. And I understand they want to share with all of their friends. Look what I've done! Oh my gosh, I'm so, ex- I'm so happy. Uh, you know, I'm so successful, and that's great. But by people going on social media and just scrolling through all of their friends' accomplishments, they start to feel less and less and less like oh my gosh they're they're accomplishing so much and i haven't done anything so i will say again and please listen do not compare your average days with everyone else's fantastic filtered days and i promise you they are filtered they're filtered not only for you know the graphic filtering that happens with pictures but also, they're filtered in the good things that they experience that day. There are a couple of people on social media that I follow that really post everything they go through. They almost consider social media like their therapy group and are, in my opinion, oversharing many times. <laughs> but I, I actually have to admonish, not admonish, but um, acknowledge and commend them for not only posting when they're having good days, but posting when they're having bad days. So everyone can understand everyone has good and bad days. The problem with social media and the the crazy thing, it was created to bring us together. And I believe what it has done is the opposite. It has separated us. With their algorithms, it creates these echo chambers And if you're inside your echo chamber and you only see your news feed of everyone that agrees with you, you think everyone believes that. And then when you hear someone outside in the real world or on a news station or commentary on a radio program or something that you disagree with, you're shocked. You can't believe there's anyone out there that would dare to believe something so heinous. Because you know everyone agrees with you. And that is not the reality. So that which was supposed to bring us together and connect us worldwide with the internet and social media has actually made us more lonely and separated. And sadly, there are kids today that cannot react and interact in person. They can only react and interact with people on social media and texting because they're removed. They're not facing someone eye-to-eye and face-to-face when they're talking about things that are going on in their lives and their opinions. And I think that's one thing that really needs to change. I personally think that we need to limit social media until someone is mature enough to understand the ups and downs, and the true dangers of it. We have children that live on social media. And I say live, I mean exist. That is the only time they feel alive and exist is when they are posting or liking or watching videos from other people. They think that's the real world, and it's not. It's absolutely not. I don't know. I got off on a crazy tangent, but that happens to me when I get really passionate about something. So let me uh, share just a couple quick things that are going on in this country that you need to know about. And then I've got a really great positive message to leave with you. All right. There is a new wind farm project in Idaho called the Lava Ridge Wind Farm Project that is being proposed. And it's I think it's it's either getting ready to be under construction or it's under construction, and it's causing havoc everywhere because it's disturbing wildlife and causing seismic changes in that area with the explosions that are happening. It's actually uh, registering little earthquakes around it, and the really crazy thing about this is it's taking up thousands and thousands of acres of Idaho property to put all these wind farms And not one bit of the energy that will be generated from these wind farms in Idaho will benefit the people in Idaho. All of it will benefit the people in California. Isn't socialism grand? Okay, (laughs) and Governor Kathy Hochul of New York is getting ready to open up the state's first pot dispensaries which is great because honestly, when I was living in New York, everyone smokes pot apparently because when you walk around any corner on your way to the subway or down to the local bodega, or as Jill likes to call it, bogada, um, then (laughs) you smell these clouds of pot smoke. So uh, people are already doing it. Now it's going to be legal and they're going to actually have pot dispensaries. But here's the funny kick. All in the name of equity they are first going to provide licenses with people that were arrested for marijuana offenses you know all in the name of equity so they can say oh now that it's legal we're we're acknowledging we made a mistake you know you 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 did something wrong when the law was that way but now the law has changed we're we're trying to make it up to you and you know that we want you to be able to have the opportunity for these businesses to sell drugs first. Does it get any more insane than things like that? I, yeah, I love New York City. It is one of my favorite places. When I lived there, I, was, I loved living there. I was in my element. I, I absolutely adore that city. But I have no plans to move back anytime soon until they pull their heads out of their butts and make the city safe again. The subways I used to ride to and from work all the time, friends of mine that still work in that industry and still live in that city. Don't dare to ride them at night anymore, especially. And even in the daytime, when I used to ride the subway, I'm a big reader. And so I had my Kindle and I was always reading a book sitting there on the subway, not paying any attention to anyone around me, unless, you know, all of a sudden someone says it's showtime and you got dancers in the middle of the cars you know, doing really cool tricks and then, you know, going around for donations. That's about the only time you raised your head and actually paid attention. But you can't do that anymore. My friend said, even when you ride the subway in the daytime, you have to sit down and keep your head on a swivel and watch everything going on in the car because you just don't know what will happen. Because crime has risen so severely in New York, it's no longer a safe city it's almost going back to what it was in the 90s, I believe it was, maybe 80s, I think 80s. It was 90s when, when Rudy Giuliani cleaned it up. But back in the 80s, man, I'm telling you, Times Square used to be full of porn shops and adult theaters and gang violence and all kinds of problems. And because Rudy Giuliani and His team instituted the broken window laws, which basically arrest people for minor offenses and give them severe punishments in hopes to dissuade them from continuing their life of crime. You see, no one starts with the hard crimes, murder, rape, violence, all that. They start with small petty crimes and if they get away with those petty crimes then they advance to more serious crimes and more serious crimes until they get away with the most serious crimes there are the broken window laws basically stop that and i wish they'd bring them back because there was a time you could walk around times square in the middle of the night and feel completely safe those days are gone until we get someone in that city that understands the necessity of these petty crime laws and the necessity of having a very strong and well supported police force. Of course, this is all my opinion. And if you don't share my opinion, or if you do, write me, Drew at the Oh, and real quick, this just in this administration, Joe Biden is sending Vice President Kamala Harris to deal with the threat of AI technology. She's going to be going and meeting with the CEOs of these big tech companies talking about the dangers of AI. I I can't imagine a worse person they they could send to represent this administration and a very serious um, topic, in my opinion, I, I, I guess we can really determine what Joe Biden could care less about because he usually sends Kamala Harris to head up those projects. You know, the border, rising crime, uh, AI now. Oh, and remember what she said about the climate in the Philippines recently? Our world is increasingly more interconnected and interdependent. That is especially true when it comes to the climate crisis, which is why we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together on. So basically, this uh, paragon of vernacular, let's say, uh, just really thinks that we need to all work together. I mean, she said it six times in that little clip. So yeah, oh, I'm fully confident that Kamala Harris is going to be able to really tackle the problems and what I believe is one of the biggest threats the world faces with the increasing. Intelligence of AIs. Okay, this final thing I want to share with you is something I personally struggle with, and and if you are too, uh, then it applies to you. And I think a lot of people really struggle with this, and that is loving yourself. Um, My mother pointed out that uh, I've always thought I was never good enough. And for many, many years, that is the case. Uh, I've tried to compensate. Uh, I am extremely positive and uh, very outgoing and confident on the outside, and that's not the case on the inside because I have you know my own critic, as everybody does, I believe, but there was something very, very profound that I read recently uh, by Kamal Ravikant. Uh, it's the, the name of the book is Love Yourself Like Your Life depends on it, because it does. And one thing that was really, really quite amazing that I thought, and, and this may be not new to you, but it really struck me. And uh, I thought I need to really change things in my life. The quote is, it is quite a common misconception that you have to love others before you can love yourself. It's the total opposite. How can you give something you don't have? And he goes on to explain, saying, as an example, in the case of pre-flight instructions in a plane, when you're told, in case of emergency, if the oxygen mask drops from above, what are you supposed to do? Put yours on first before helping someone else. That is so important. So I have committed myself to trying to figure out how to love myself, not in a conceited or weird way. But just accepting yourself as you are, flaws and all, that's, I think, one of the most important things. And I've started to understand that the things that I really were very self-critical about are really what make me unique and what make me special. And so I'll tell you the same thing. Those things that are a little awkward about you or Um, different. Those are the things that make you unique, that make you special. And remember, as I've said before, God doesn't make mistakes. He is a perfect being. We make mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes can reveal themselves in choices we make that can change our lives for the worse. But those are choices we've made Or that society has changed, or our own families and friends, sometimes with good intentions, actually hurt us. But if we learn to love ourselves fiercely, unconditionally, then it will be much easier to love everyone else. And I believe that with that change will come a dramatic and positive change. In our lives, because if we love ourselves, we won't do things that we would do to someone we love. If we truly love ourselves, we won't become addicted to drugs. If we true, truly love ourselves, we won't do things to hurt others. If we truly love ourselves, we won't waste time. If we truly love ourselves, we will want to take advantage of every single Minute of our day in order to help ourselves progress and become better. All right, so I hope that uh, was something that touched you the way it touched me when I read it. And I hope you have so much success you can't even handle it all Uh, because everyone deserves it. Every single person on this earth deserves absolute success. And there is abundance, my friends. There is not a limited supply of success and riches. There is an unlimited, abundant supply of everything for everyone. You just got to find your niche and go after it. And go after it like you love yourself so much. That is what you want most for yourself is that success, that love, that acceptance, that growth, all the things that you want, you can get, but you've got to love yourself first. And one quick thing before I let you go is, do you remember in the movie, the 101 Dalmatians, when they would relay the bark on all the news around the neighborhood? That's what I'm asking you to do with this podcast. All right. Remember, and I love that movie because you've got the the dog that had to pull the hair out of his face to bark and the one that bounced off the table as they barked and all the different things. And I can't use the actual audio from that movie because I would probably get sued by Disney. Uh, But perhaps I could come up with some other kind of barking to um, make the same statement, I guess. So when I do my sign-off and say, create an amazing day... I'm also going to say, and relay the bark.